Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Portion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. Don't you hate overachievers? Come on. Yeah, just, come on. Just, you just, just get, get, you don't have to tell us in front of everyone. Just take him to one side and tell him that you did it. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Come on, teachers, pets, where are you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The time has not started. If you could start it, that would be great. Verse 24, then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I was, would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Inflation's high. The bills are going up. You've lost me money by giving it me back. I didn't quite say that. To that, that that's the, uh, the amplified version. To those who use well what they are given, sorry, then he ordered, take the money from his servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there is, will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think some of you are hoping that boss is not your boss tomorrow morning when you get in and say, the figures aren't quite what I thought. <laughs> we'll come back to that in just a second. But have you ever had a situation in your life where you thought, what's the catch? Has anyone had that situation? What's the catch? It might be <clears throat> a car that you're looking at and... The value of the car should be £15,000 and really it's up for sale for £5,000 and you get in there and you're like, what's the catch? And you, they're saying, oh, there's nothing wrong. You get in, you drive it. And the steering wheel's like this when you're going straight. <laughs> there's a catch. Or it might be when you, you know, you see one of these stories on Instagram or Facebook, these adverts you get all the time. It's like, take this pill and in one week you will lose three stones. <laughs> Now, I've seen the before and afters. On the, I've never seen anyone who takes the pill, though, in real life. It's too good to be true. There is a catch. Helen and I had one of these situations when we were on honeymoon, over 10 years ago now, by the way, in Florida. We were 
there having the time of our lives. And this one day we did some shopping and we went through what they call a mall and we were walking through and this guy approached us with this big smile. He looked like he was enjoying life and he was like, do you want $200? I was like, yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, I want $200 on the way across. He says, come across here, come to my stand. And on the way across to his stand, I was thinking about the trainers I was going to buy. I was thinking about the food that was going to come through my mouth. Because of this extra $200, we were going to acquire. I was like, yes, give me the $200. Now, I like a bargain like anybody else. But Helen's like pulling my hand thinking like, come on, Josh, move on. I'm like, it's $200. This woman does not know what she's thinking. Have I married the white woman? I'm not sure. (laughs) This is 200 free American dollars. I mean, a dollar then was worth like, you know, that $200 then was like worth a hundred pounds. Now it's worth like 3,000 pounds or something like that. So we get across to the, the guy's stand and he's like, sir, can I give you $200? (laughs) Yes, you can. You can get, and and, and then I started, you know, the things in my mind started to go, the cog started to turn. I was like, why do you want to give me $200? Come on, what do I need to do? Oh, sir, you don't have to do anything, sir. I I, I will take you for a five-star meal, sir. I I, I will show you my complex. It is so great, sir. I, I will give you a great day, sir. So there's nothing I need to do. I just need to come and have dinner. Well, sir, there's just a short presentation. How long's the presentation? Just four hours. <laughs> so he wanted me to trade my time on holiday, half a day, for money. There was a catch. There was a catch. The reality is, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but people say that if something's free, then you're the product. Have you ever heard that? Instagram, Facebook. Have you ever wondered why they're free? Because we are the product. This parable that Jesus tells, it talks about a master, which in this story is, of course, representing God. And the master gives the servant some money to look after. Two of the servants, they do a great job, an awesome job, with the money that the master gives them, but one does a very bad job. Now, I use this term catch loosely here because we know with God there is no catch. We've been freely given salvation. But it's clear from this parable that Jesus tells that while there is no catch to the gifts that God gives, there is a responsibility. Like Jesus says in Luke 12 verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Isn't that Spider-Man, by the way? (laughs) And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This parable of the talents in its essence is about stewardship, what we do with what we've been given. But as we explore today, you'll see there's much more to be learned from this story that Jesus told. So let's go back to the passage and work our way through it. In verse 14, it starts like this. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to another, and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their ability. Just a quick point. Our world today says everyone should get the same. That's not right. We divide in proportion to ability. 
At the moment, in schools, you're not allowed to be first. No one's first, no one's last. But that's not real life, is it? Because all hard work brings a... A reward, a profit. All hard work brings a profit. So if I don't have to work to get the profit, then why do I do the work? The first thing I see from this parable is that we need to be thankful for what the master gives. We have to be thankful for what he gives. Right at the start of this parable, it begins with the master giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. I don't know if you're not very good with your Bibles or, or you're just quiet. Come on, let's try it again. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It starts with the master giving. See, the master, this, like I've said, it represents God and the servants represent you and me. Now that word servant, it can be misconstrued in our world today. Because this is clearly not a normal servant-master relationship. Because our 21st century view of servanthood is to be owned by another. It's to be looked down on. It's to never make your own choice. It's never to use your own gifts. We see it as doing menial tasks to make someone else's life better. Because we get slavery and servanthood mixed up. But what we see here is different. This master... He's trusting his servants. He's leaving them with his possessions, with all of his goodness, with essentially his power. And he's trusting them according to their abilities in that moment to make the right choice to advance his kingdom. That's what's happening here. See, I'm not reading extra into this because our kingdom in this world is essentially what we own. And that is what this master is leaving his servants with. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be a servant. The greatest among you will be a servant. This can be hard for us to hear because we don't want to be the servant. We want to be the master. We want to be in control. We want to make our own choices. We want to do our own thing. When we're at our worst, we don't want to serve. We want to be served. But that's not who we're called to be. We are called to work with the master Jesus to serve the world in which we live. I don't know about you, but I want to be a better servant to those around me, to my family, to my community, to God. I want to serve the master well. And this isn't an oppressive relationship, a relationship that limits. It's not a relationship that holds back, that pushes down like like we see here. This is a relationship that lifts up, that equips that empowers where we get all the benefits of being in the master's house. I want to remind you today that as it says in Ephesians 1 verse 5, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have been adopted to sonship. You are in his family. You get the benefit of being in his family. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a servant of the living God with all the benefits that come from being in his family the freedom, the power, the grace, the strength, the healing that's given to his children than be on my own and to have to contend with this life on my own. Our world needs servants of God who are empowered with the gifts he gives to go into our world and bring restoration and transformation 
to it through his power at work in us. We need people who will be like Jesus, who laid down his life so that the world could be saved. Jesus, who as Philippians 2 says, was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Another version says he made himself a servant. By taking, the very, sorry, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our world is desperate to elevate themselves. Our world is desperate to, to tell you how great they are. Our world is desperate to promote themselves, to push themselves, to get themselves to the top, to barge themselves to the top, no matter who it hurts. That is not the Bible. Don't let it seep into your own heart and your own soul. Because it can. Can't it? It can. When you, look, when you feel overlooked, when you feel like you've done a great job and no one says thank you, when you feel like you're doing better than somebody else, but that other person gets all the plaudits. Is it just me or is it... But Jesus, he didn't exalt himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And it says even death on a cross, and we don't get the power of that because death on a cross was the most humiliating death. It was the lowest death. It was the death of a nobody. If it's good enough for Jesus, this servanthood thing, isn't it good enough for us? Is there anybody here today that wants to be like Jesus? Is there anybody here today who wants to be a servant? See, this master, he's different to maybe your boss. He's different to maybe the masters in this world. This master, he trusts his servants. I've always found this amazing that God, the maker of heaven and earth, who does not need me and you. That's the reality of it. He's self-sustaining. Who in himself could accomplish all his purposes. He chooses to use me and you. He chooses us. He chooses to work through ordinary people. He chooses to bring his goodness to the earth through ordinary people like us. And he doesn't just leave us on our own to do it. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of God to this world in which we live. Can't you see the similarities here? The master has gone and left with his servants, sorry, left his servants with his possessions to take care of. He's given his servants the fullness of his power so that they can continue to grow his kingdom, so that they can thrive, not just survive. Can you see the similarities? Because that's what he's done with us. Jesus was telling this story while on earth so that we had a blueprint for when he was gone. In Timothy 2 verse 1, Paul says this, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you and guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We need to guard the gifts we've been given. See, we have a great deposit. A deposit that's been entrusted us by our Father so we don't have to hold on for dear life for heaven. Come on, we've all seen that 
approach, haven't we? I've got my bus passed to heaven. We'll just do our thing. I'll sing the songs I like and I'll leave myself from the world. We've seen that, haven't we? But that's not what God's looking for. I was thinking when Helen was praying over the kids, this, this proverb comes to me a lot, but it's this proverb. It's the wicked flee though non-pursue, but the righteous are as bold, of, bold as a lion. We aren't called to be carrying a corner. We are called to be lights on a hill. That's what Jesus called. What is a light on a hill? It's a place of influence. We are called to be people of influence. We are called to be people who make a difference, not carrying the corner because the wicked flee, they're non-pursue, but the righteous, they're bold as a lion. I pray that over our kids, that they would be bold as lions when they go back to school and in the world in which they live. But God's given us his goodness, his power, his love, his mercy and grace so that we can advance the kingdom of God in our world. So that wherever we go, where emissaries of the kingdom of God, bringing his love, his grace, his joy and peace into this world. You are not called to be a closet Christian. You are called to bring transformation to the world through the gifts the Father has been given. It's time for us to step out and be the people we're called to be. And this is why we need to be thankful for the gifts we've been given. Because these gifts, they allow us to prevail. These gifts, they enable us to serve and they give us strength to bring the hope of Jesus to a world that's hurting. Who's thankful this morning that Jesus didn't leave us on our own? Anybody else? I'm thankful that God didn't leave me in my own strength, that didn't leave me with my my own powers, my own skills, because if he did, we'd be lost. But because of his power at work within me, we can prevail in this world, can't we? Because of his power at work within us, we can go into this world and we can make a difference. How do we get the gifts? We seek God diligently. We pray. We read the Bible. We meditate on the word of God every single day. And watch how he transforms your life. The next thing that I see from this parable is that we need to work what we got. Now, I know this isn't perfect English, but you may have heard this in a movie when people are dancing or one of the characters is like, come on, work what you've got. It's basically when you're not very good at something, but it's like, do the best you can with what you have. Now, you might look at yourself sometimes, you think, I've not quite got the greatest dancing ability. I know that's not true for you, Ben Smedley. You might think I've not got the greatest looks. You might think I've not got the greatest talent. I've not got the greatest intellect. But here's the thing, we all have to work what we got. We all have to take what you got. In golf, they say, I, I, I love golf, I, I'm a big golfer. And <clears throat> what, they, what they say is, when it's golf, you have to dance with the lady you brought. <laughs> what that basically means that one day you might be really good and you might be doing everything right and another day you might not, but you're still going to dance with the lady you brought. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's true in our lives, that's true, that... We don't get to choose our gifts. You might want to be a bit sharper. You might want to be a bit brighter. You might want to look like somebody else. The reality is that's not going to change anything. Jesus actually said himself, he says, does anyone from worrying like put another hair on the head? (laughs) I'd be happy if it did. I'd be worrying all the time about it. Actually, this was straight at me because he then went to say, does anyone about worrying uh, get taller? It's like, come on, Jesus, give me a break. (laughs) 
But it's true, it, it, it doesn't help, does it? And the reality is, and the funny thing about this is I've seen in life and I've listened to like interviews of people who've accomplished a lot or listened to, you know, had conversations with people even in this congregation, is that people, everyone feels inadequate in some way. Everyone likes to look at somebody else and say, hey, I wish I had what they had. But that's not going to get us anywhere. We have to work what we've been given. We have to do the best we have with what we've got. You know, in Arena Church, we define excellence that way. That it, it's doing the best we can with what we have. We aren't perfect. We know that. But what we'll try and do is the best we can with what we have. I see it so much in this parable. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, as I've alluded to already, this could seem really unfair with our worldview. No, these bags should have been shared out equally. They, <clears throat> they should have had two each or, and then divide, then split the last two bags or whatever you want to work it out. That's our worldview. What, this is not fair. It's not right. But here's the thing. If we're being honest, we know that different people have different gifts and abilities. And different people have proven themselves to different levels. The worst thing I've said, I think I've used this analogy about Judah like last week or the week before, but the worst thing that you could do with a 17-year-old is give them a Ferrari. Is that right? It's a, it would be a horrendous gift because they'd wrap it around a tree and they'd possibly hurt themselves. It's a bad gift for them. They're not ready for the gift. They don't have the ability to steward the gift well. We're all given gifts by God. Everything we have comes from him. It's given by him. But as in this story, we're not all given the same at the same time. Does that mean God has favourites? No. Does it mean that there are less opportunities for certain people in the kingdom of God? No. But if God had given the one bag of silver guy five bags, there would have been a loss. We all know this. Let's pretend now. Let's put yourself in the position of a money management fund and the boss is going away and he has eight million pounds that needs managing and he has three employees. He has this star employee who's been with him from the start. He's proven himself over a long time. He has this great employee who's been with him for five years. Again, who's proven himself, but over a bit of a shorter time. And then he has the apprentice who's just started. Now, if you want money to keep growing, you don't divide it equally. You trust the star employee who's proven himself <clears throat> that he's trustworthy over years, who knows where to put the money to work. You give the next amount to the guy who's been there for five years. A bit smaller amount because he's not proven himself quite as much, but he's been good. You give him the smaller amount and then you give the apprentice a small amount to go and work with. You might say, well, why do you give the apprentice anything at all? Well, if you're a good boss and leader, you want the apprentice to learn. You want the apprentice to grow. You want to give the apprentice the chance to prove trust. You want the apprentice to have the opportunity to step up. 
See, I hope this makes sense today because we're all given gifts. Everybody here, you have a gift. If you don't believe that, that is a lie of the enemy. I want you to know today that God has given you gifts. You have a unique purpose on your life and you matter to God. We're all given gifts from God. And the more we honour God with our gifts, the more we use them for his glory, the more we steward them well, the more we are given. See, we can get so wrapped up in our world with what others have, what others seem to be given, how easy it is for others that we completely lose focus and end up wasting what we've been given. We become jealous and envious instead of working what we got. We wish we could work what someone else has got and we spiral into inactivity and laziness and all we become is bitter about others and we waste our lives. I want to encourage you today to work what you have. Everyone wants to work what someone else has got. Everyone is a genius at working what someone else has got. Is that right? I've seen it. It's true in football. It's true with the prime minister situation. Everyone knows how to fix the country apart from Rishi and Liz. Everyone knows. Everyone knows how to fix it apart from them too. And I'm not giving you any of my political thoughts right now, but it's true. Everyone knew how to sort Man United out apart from the people who are at Man United. Everyone knows how to, to sort Stags out without the people at Stags. Everyone is a genius when it's not their own thing. And people have got all these opinions when their job's failing, when they're getting it wrong, when they're making a mistake because their eyes on someone else, not, not what they've been given. Focus on what you've been given. Focus on what God's given you now. The Bible says it like this. It says, um, do the best with what's in your hand. What's in your hand, do the best with that in this moment. When, when God came to, Mo, uh, came to Moses in the burning bush, and I'm just, this is just working from sort of memory here, but when God came to Moses in the burning bush, Moses was like, send someone else. What am I going to use? And God said, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? He had a staff. And God used a staff to prove who he was. What's in your hand? It's the problem that we have today. Everyone wants to be the CEO, the owner, the Instagram influencer, but they don't want to put in the hard work it takes to get there. They look at the five-star CEO, the sports person, the pastor, and look on and say, it's not fair. I should be doing that. They look at the top business person and compare it to their one-star job and think, I'll never get there. So what's the point? What we fail to realize is that the CEO got there through proving faithful in the small through taking the hard yard, through pushing through the monotony of the more basic job. And as they did this, they learned, they grew, they become more wise. And because they proved faithful in the small, they could prove faithful with the big. That's Bible, by the way. Jose Mourinho just comes to mind because he, very famous football manager, if you're not familiar with Jose Mourinho, but he started as just a translator but he continued to prove himself above other people around him. He continued to prove he could be trusted with the task at hand. He continued to, be, uh, to prove that he was diligent. And now he's one of the greatest managers of all time, arguably. He's definitely in the top 10. 
because of his work, because he proved faithful in the small. He could have sat there and thought, I'm just translating what these idiots are saying. I know better than these. He probably would have got sacked. But he chose to use what was in his hand. What's in your hand? What is in your hand? The reality is that positions where we look on and say, I wish I had that, would probably wreck us. As we don't have the capacity to be there right now. But the way we advance, the way we rise, is by each of us, each day, working what we've been given. The first two servants, they got on with it straight away. They went to work to bring success and increase to their master. They used their mind, soul and strength to bring increase to the kingdom. They worked hard and smart and this led to them doubling what they'd been given. An amazing increase. Any business person here today, you know that doubling's good. And look what the master says when he turns, returns to see the work that they'd done. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. He didn't praise the five guy more than the two guy. He was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Did you hear it? You've been faithful in the small. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. If you want many more responsibilities, then it's time to prove faithful what you got now. If you're stressed out already at where you are, you're going to struggle to handle more responsibility. Is that right? He proved faithful. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. See, because these servants have proved faithful in the small, they had been given more. I want to tell you today, if you can't work diligently in the office job, you'll never have a successful business. If you can't lead yourself, then how could you lead others? If you can't read your Bible, then how can you be trusted to preach the word? If you want to step into the bigness that you've been called to, you have to prove faithful with what you have right now. I want to ask you for one last time today, are you working what you have been given? Or complaining? Are you complaining the house isn't big enough, the car isn't fast enough, the job doesn't pay enough? Stop complaining. And steward what you have now. And also, learn to be content. Content doesn't mean stale. Because a new house or a new car will never give you contentment. Thank God for what you've been given. Honour him with it and go with purpose. See, these two guys, they weren't waiting to be told what to do. They had been given purpose by the master to bring increase. And they went with purpose. Come on, let's not just breathe, breeze through life, subject to where the wind blows. Let's be like Jesus. Let's go with purpose. It says of Jesus that he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, talking about his purpose for his life. He was focused. He knew his purpose was to save the world through laying down his life. So he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Proverbs says this, have you ever seen a man excellent in his ways? He will serve before kings. Can't help it. If you were excellent in your ways, you can't help it. You can't help but rise. I've seen it throughout my life. If you show up with purpose, wherever you are, in that job, in church, in that business, wherever it may be, you will continue to be trusted with more responsibility. 
we see the master's response, like I said, was same for the two. They both increased, they both grew, and they both handled more in the end. They were successful, and they'd used their success to advance the master's house. The last thing I see from this parable is this. It's a warning that we shouldn't waste what we've been given. We've looked at the two guys who were successful. Look at what verse 24 says. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest out of it. I like the practicality. Anybody else? Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Harsh words, fair to say. They can seem really harsh when looking at them. And I've wrestled with this in the preparation of this message because in the face of it, it doesn't seem like the punishment fits the crime because there's no two ways about it. The Bible is saying that this, the, the master has condemned this man to hell. On the face of it, I, I would look at this man's performance. It would look like this man's performance had earned his judgment. But when you look into it, I don't think that's the case. As I look throughout the Bible, God helps us and he works with us and he gives us gifts to perform. Please, I want you to know that you can't earn salvation. Your salvation isn't predicated on your performance, but on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It wasn't this man's performance that condemned him, but it was what his performance revealed. See, his performance revealed that he didn't know the master at all. See, the first two servants, the good servants, they got on with it straight away. They knew exactly what the master was looking for. They knew how he would have gone about it. The inference here is that they would have done what the master had taught. And it becomes clear from the way the master rewards them that they knew exactly what he was looking for. But this servant, this third servant, he gets it so wrong. He's almost proud of himself when he says, I've not lost anything. Here's your stuff back. He's expecting a pat on the back. But the master wasn't looking for him not to lose anything. He was looking for him to put the money to work. Now, for anyone here that's worked for a boss for any amount of time, you will know how they are going to react in a certain situation. Is that correct? You know, you know how they're going to respond to what you've done. You know how they're going to respond to a certain situation because you know them, because you have a relationship with them. That's why it can be so hard when you start a new job because you don't know exactly what the boss is looking for. You may have heard about our legacy fund and stuff like that and we get given some of that to to go and bless our community. And if, if I went... If Christian gave me some of that money to, for, for here at Mansfield, to invest here at Mansfield, I said, Christian, I've done a great job with that money. 
I bought five golf memberships to bless our community, to take people out and take them on the golf course. They're going to have a great time. I want you to know, <laughs> Christian would not be happy with that. I would be in big, big trouble. Now, because I know Christian, because I know that's not his heart, that if I did that, I'd be stepped down, that he'd be very mad, and that he'd know that the money I'd been given was wasted. I'd never do that. But you see, what I'm saying, because I know Christian, because I have a relationship with him, because I love him and honour him, I know what he expects. And this one-talent guy, he clearly doesn't know the master. We see in verse 25, this man says, I was afraid I would lose your money. This man, he was motivated by fear. He was paralyzed by fear. He was so afraid that he would lose the money that he hid it in the ground. He did nothing with it. He had no idea who the master was. The other two, they weren't motivated by fear. They were motivated by the purpose that the master's gifts had given them. The money in this story had given them purpose. Just as the gifts we've been given, the opportunities we're given, the talent we're given, give us purpose. How could this man have got it so wrong? Because he didn't know the master. If he'd truly known the master, he'd know that perfect love casts out all fear. That the master had not given him this gift as a curse, but as a blessing. That the bag of silver didn't come with a catch, but it came with a calling. But because he did not know him, the calling became a catch, the blessing became a curse, and purpose turned in to fear. Today, you're not called to be afraid of God. You are called to be a friend of God. I want you to know that today. You're not called to be afraid. You're called to be a friend. He gives liberally, not to trick you, but to show you that he trusts you. This God is not against you. He's not waiting for you to slip up. He is for you and he wants you to receive the blessing that is to be called his own. Verse 26 and 27 say this. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gather crops. I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. The master calls his servant out. He had said he was scared, which was a symptom of not knowing the master. But there was more than that. He wasn't just afraid. He was lazy. He did the very least possible. See, I think the master would have preferred the servant to go and lose it all than to do nothing with it. Because he learned nothing. He didn't grow. He didn't succeed. He, hadn't, he had wasted the opportunity. His laziness was found out because if he was really concerned about losing the money, just put it in a bank. We aren't just talking about a physical laziness here. We're talking about a mental laziness. He hadn't been creative. He hadn't explored the options. He hadn't tried. Physically, he might have looked busy. Physically, he probably looked busier than the other guys because he was there digging a hole. He was there like doing the physical work and he's like looking at those guys. They're sitting down there sipping a mocktail somewhere because we don't drink cocktails in this church. He's there digging the hole and he's like, he's got his top off, you know. He's like Paul when he's going and Liz is looking in the garden and she's like, look at this guy, the, the man of my dreams. He's like, look at these guys. Look at these guys. Here I am working hard. 
Here I am doing the hard stuff, digging, putting it in place. He was pleased with himself, but he chose the easy way out. He chose the route of least resistance. Mentally, he was being lazy. He played it safe. And this is a challenge to us today. Are we keeping ourselves busy with things that don't matter while the master is calling us to bigger things? I just wonder today if some of us, we're not lazy in our actions, but we've become lazy in our minds. You're going through the motions, taking the easy way, not stepping out, not looking for opportunities to advance. You stop dreaming and you become stuck in safe. If this parable teaches us anything, it's that we are called to grow. We are called to advancement. Your life is not called to be stale. You are called to grow, to move forward, to rise. You are called to go from level to level as you prove faithful in what he gives, he will continue to give you more. Does that mean it will always be material that we'll always all be driving Ferraris in five years? No, that's not the message this morning. Material things can be part of that and that's fine, but it's far bigger than that. You will become more wise, you become more bold, you become more strong, you become, you'll have a clearer sense of purpose and this will all add up to bringing God's kingdom in the world in which we live. Christian coined this phrase, I think, but let's remember that it's not what you leave for people that matters, it's what you leave in people that matters. We're called to leave an inheritance, but I want mine to be far more than just money. I want to leave a litany of changed lives behind as God has used me to change the world in which I live. Will we be the church that Jesus desires, that looks past our personal safety and comfort and steps into the fullness that he has called us to? Wasn't that the mark of the first church? The Apostle Paul's getting thrown out of places. He's getting stoned one minute and not by smoking something. Someone's, <laughs> someone's throwing stuff at him. The first church, it was not marked by comfort. It was marked by taking risks. Even in the mixing pot that's 2022, when we could be fearful, when we could be scared, when we could wonder how we're going to live, what we're going to do, you are called to grow. Just because the world's falling apart doesn't mean that God is. He's not falling apart. He's waiting for you to come to him. and He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to say, come on, just show me, God. Show me what my next step is. Show me what you, what you want me to do. And he might say, work what you got. We're called to advance. We're called to bring an increase. As we prove faithful with what we have, as we work what we've got, we'll go from glory to glory in him and we'll see this world transformed. This man was condemned for playing it safe, for being lazy. But ultimately, it was because he didn't know the master. I want to ask you today, do you know the master? Have you got a relationship with Jesus? Why don't we just bow our head and close our eyes, not for anything apart to give people their privacy. And if you don't know the master today, if you haven't started a relationship with him, but you say, Josh, I want to start a relationship with him today. I'm inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, I just ask you to lift your hand. You say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Is there anyone here today that says, I want to do that? 
great, great. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I see you there. One more. We've got three people who've decided to step into a relationship with Jesus. God, for these three who've lifted their hands today, I don't know all their story, but you do. Lord, and I pray as we sang earlier that they would run to you. Lord, in this moment, I pray that they will give you all of their mess. They'd say sorry for the stuff they've done wrong, but they'd know that as they say sorry, as they look to you, as they turn to you, they know they are forgiven. God, I pray you would wash them in your blood and that they would walk, they would run into the future that you have for them. In your powerful name, amen. Just keep your heads bowed, eyes closed for a second. If you say, Josh, I know the master, but if I'm being dead honest, I haven't been working what I've been given. I've been, maybe you've been lazy. Maybe you've been looking at what others have got. Maybe you've been a star at working someone else's stuff, but you've not worked your own. You've neglected your own. Maybe you've dropped your dream. Maybe you've dropped your purpose. Maybe you feel like you've got no purpose. And you want, you want to be fruitful again. If that's you, just begin to lift your hands over this place. I'm sure there's going to be hands going up around the place. So God, our world is plagued by bitterness, envy and jealousy. Lord, for those who lift their hands and that's part of their issue, God, we lay it at your feet. I pray you would bring it down in your powerful name. Lord, that we wouldn't look at what others have got and be jealous and and look at that. We'd we'd actually focus on what you've given us and we'd be thankful for it. I thank you, God, for the gifts that are given with the people who've lifted their hands. Thank you for their gifts. Thank you for what you have given them. But I pray, God, for a new day of fruitfulness in your kingdom. I pray for a new day of fruitfulness and purpose in their lives. I pray, God, they would run into what you have got for them. I pray, God, that their eyes would be fixed on you. Lord, I pray their eyes would be fixed on your call and your desires and your purpose for them and that they would know that they are loved by you. Lord, we all want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, I pray across Arena Church today that we would be those people, God, where we get to heaven, not perfect, but Lord, that we would be good and faithful. Lord, that we wouldn't forever be trying to exalt ourselves but that we'd be like you, Jesus, and we'd humble ourselves. We love you. We honour you.